Huh. I love that shameful boogie woogie. That's awesome. Wow, that was a great... You know, I have to confess something. I'll probably be on the outs with the worship team, but I never heard that song before. We could tell, right? Good morning, saints. You all right? You can't hear me? I'm on. I'm on. Yes, I'm feeling quite on, as a matter of fact. Uh Uh-oh. So fasten your seatbelts. What's that? Let me just mention a couple of things real quickly, if I could. Yes, we, um, we did have a business meeting last week. And uh, there were quite a few people, like 60-plus people here. And I just want to correct... Yes, Pastor John, we're really excited. Um, Don Nauta, what's that? That's 53 more. Oh, that was bad. You behave. Don Nauta said last week, you know, business meetings aren't fun. And I'm like, not on my watch. It's not staying that way. Anybody who was there, did you see the future seating for the church? Dude. Some people actually thought that was serious. That's the funny part. But anyway, we had, we had pictures of reclining theater seats. We'll fill this place one way or the other. You know the old joke the pastor told, right? That was, uh, he was trying to get the church growing and people were coming up with all their reasons why they can't do anything. You know, Pastor, we'd love to help you with this uh, endeavor, but we have to do this. Pastor, we'd love to help you and contribute to this, but we have to do this. And Pastor, you know, we would be right there with you, but... And he finally said, we'll never fill this church with buts. They don't get any better, so if you want to leave now, this is a good time. We did vote in last week our budget, which includes a hire, uh, Pastor Tim Strait as our youth pastor. So we're thankful. He's pretty okay, so that's good. That's great having him. Next week, Sunday morning, we will be having a baptism. So I'm looking forward to that, some new brethren and uh, others. If you want to be part of that, you can't wait till Friday to talk to me, okay? Don't do that to me. Uh, Talk to me today. Otherwise, ain't happening, all right? So you'll be in the next round. We're not going to swear off baptisms after next week, but uh, please talk to me promptly. And let's see, the last thing I need to mention is, for those of you who tried to be in touch with me this week, I crashed and burned. If you got weird emails from me, they were spam hack stuff. I got hacked, and they shut down my account, which everybody's saying, why would you want to stay with AOL anyway? But that's where I'm stuck. Anyway, so I've had it for so long, I don't want to dump it, all right? Any, no problems with that? Did I crash your computer? (laughs) Oh, well, sorry. But they promised that if I sent it, I would be rich. But anyway, let's pray together. Thanks for your provision for us, God. Thanks for those things that we see where you're at work. Thanks for the time of worship this morning, lifting our eyes upward. And uh, that song that was new to me, I appreciated how much scripture truth was being screamed at me. You work things out for our good. We don't submit to that very well, but, Lord, you are doing a work in the universe, even in our fallen culture and the world that we see around us where we want so badly to cocoon ourselves and pull back and kind of hide in a a commune. No, you're at work. And you're going to raise up a people for your own namesake. Even out of this culture, there will be those who are snatched as brands from the fire, as the old scripture said. Lord, we want to be part of that snatching, and so help us. Um, Encourage our hearts today. uh, Help your servant who feels quite inadequate. 
and uh, illumine our minds by your spirit. You can instruct your people, even if I lost my voice right in the middle of this. You are the living God. You speak and you act. And uh, we want to be anticipatory rather than asleep in the light. So help us today, we pray. Thank you for your gathering of your saints. Thank you for the freedom that we have. And we praise you and worship you, King Jesus, Lord of the universe. We bless you in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Philippians, if you don't have a Bible, take the one out of the pew. And uh, page 570 is where we are. And uh, I will actually be having us look at some of that in just a minute. But let me, uh, oh, what's up? Joy in the journey. I put a little asterisk. Anybody know who Michael Card is? Yeah. Yeah. Woohoo! And uh, I actually looked up the song because I had not heard it before. I don't particularly like the tune. No, I don't. And that's okay. He's quite secure, and he could care less whether I like the tune. And, uh, but the words were really good. We're going to look at them in just a minute. Because there is, in fact, joy in the journey. And the text we had read to us a minute ago talks about joy. It's the classic text. I'm going to revi uh, revive it in just a minute. But uh, let's be honest. Sometimes there isn't a lot of joy on the journey, right? They're having a great day, aren't they? And things a lot worse than that happen. You know, talking to people in this last week, not even from here, who have been through horrible abuse at the hands of their fellow human beings. You think, is it possible to have joy in this journey? Well, from the believer's standpoint, yes, there is. We have a God that's alive, and he makes us new, and he can heal us, and he can change us. And uh, that's what I earnestly desire for anyone hearing me. If you haven't experienced some of that kind of mercy and breakthrough, uh, you'd like to seek God out for it if you need that. There is joy in the journey. Let me just show you the text again, if I could. There's a joy. This is the song, by the way. There's a joy in the journey. There's a light we can love on the way. There is a wonder and wildness to life. Some, some of our lives are more wild than others. But I love this last line. Freedom... For those who obey. That's really where the liberty is, right? Uh, one of my favorite songs from the Revival in Belfast album uh, is Surrender. You know, I Surrender, uh, one of those. And it's like, it's only in your will that I am free. It's only in your will that I'm free. That's where the real freedom is. That's where the joy comes from. So let me just restate the text, if I may. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. There's a mouthful. I could preach all morning just on that. As a matter of fact, I think I will. Um, all morning means till noon. No, 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 no. My wife is downstairs caring for children. She will clobber me. And I will not be clobbered. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. There's more to this. I want to show you it, and then we're going to go backwards, back to that text. Be anxious for nothing. Hmm. Hard to do, right? Be anxious for nothing. Quit fretting. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Wonderful passage. By the way, uh, Paul, this is, just, this is a freebie. Paul speaks out of his Jewish context. The psalmist would often speak of prayer with supplication and thanksgiving, and so it's a natural thing for him to kind of spill that. In everything, praying, making your requests, supplications, and giving thanks. Say that to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds. Well, I'm going to go back to this verse and just leave that there, if I may. <clears throat> When it talks about um, rejoicing in the Lord and it says, let your forbearing spirit be known to all men, we'll come and unpack that in a minute. It's in your notes if you're a note taker. But why? Because the Lord is near. It's pur purposely, we think, ambiguous. That is, is it saying that Jesus is coming tomorrow? Because in that sense, he is near. 
And those of us who have been well-trained know that we want to be ready when he comes. We want to be found with reward in our hands, if you will, that we've been serving him. Everybody understand what I mean? And, but there's also a dimension of the Lord being near, as in he's existentially near. The Spirit is with us. In fact, the great saints who have learned this practice of joy and having peace in all circumstances learn to practice the presence of God. Have you ever heard that expression? Brother Lawrence, for example, one of the famous monks, to practice the presence of God. The Lord is near. In fact, there's something that happens in my mental DNA when I'm conscious of the fact that Jesus is there. Like, there. Anybody remember that great spiritual movie, Ghost? (laughs) He's right there next to you, you know. What? I don't see him, you know. He's right there. But if we really believed it, you know, while I'm driving along and those truckers are cutting me off, right, Mark? You know how they are. I know you're out there, right? And it's like, you blink. Oh, yeah, Jesus is right. I better watch it. Yeah, I hear the groans right. Saying, can you be done soon, please? He's near. All right, let's, uh, let's have a little fun. I did this a while back, and I'm sure uh, most of us don't remember it, but it'll probably come back as I read it. One of my favorite books, highly recommend anything by John Ortberg. The Life You've Always Wanted, talking about the spiritual disciplines, but he's talking about the fact that we are in a process of transformation. And let's be candid. Many times we come to Christ, we learn a lot of stuff when we first come to Christ, and then our motor stalls, and we're just stuck there. The distortion of what spirituality should be like. Misunderstanding of true spirituality. Let me just read this story that uh, John Ortberg tells in one of his early chapters called Surprise by Change, the goal of spiritual life. The man who never changed, Hank, as we'll call him, was a cranky guy. He didn't smile easily, and when he did, The smile often had a cruel edge to it, coming at someone's expense. He had a knack for discovering islands of bad news and oceans of happiness. (laughs) He would always find a cloud where others saw a silver lining. Hank rarely affirmed anyone. He operated on the assumption that if you compliment somebody, it might lead to a swelled head. So he would work to make sure everyone stayed humble. His was a ministry of cranial downsizing. His native tongue was complaint. He carried judgment and disapproval the way a prisoner carries a ball and chain. Although he went to church his whole life, he was never unshackled. A deacon in the church asked him one day, now you're going to remember it. Hank, are you happy? Hank paused to reflect and then replied without smiling, yeah. Well, tell your face, the deacon said. But so far as anybody knows, Hank's face never did find out about it. (laughs) Uh, Who has more fun than people, my wife always says. Occasionally, Hank's joylessness produced unintended joy for others. There was a period of time when his primary complaint centered around the music in the church. It's too loud, Hank protested to the staff, the deacons, the ushers, and eventually the innocent visitors who came to the church. We finally had to tank. We had a tank. They had a tank, too. Probably did have to tank. We finally had to take Hank aside and explain that complaining to complete strangers was not appropriate, and he would have to restrict his laments to a circle of intimate friends. And that was the end of it, so we thought. A few weeks later, Secretary buzzed me on the intercom to say that an agent from OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, was here to see me. I'm here to check out a complaint, he said. As I tried to figure out who on the staff would have called OSHA over a church problem, he began to talk about decibel levels at airports and rock concerts. Excuse me, I said, are you sure this was someone on the church staff that called? 
No, he explained, if anyone calls, whether or not they work here, we're obligated to investigate. Suddenly, the light dawned. <laughs> Hank had called OSHA and said, the music at my church is too loud. And they sent a federal agent to check it out. This is a true story, by the way. Oh, it's going to get better in the days ahead, brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. All of God's people said. Oh, I say I'm winding you up here. And now, time to take another offering. So let's pass it. Now, let me get back on this. John, control yourself. Okay. By this time, the rest of the staff had gathered in my office to see the man from OSHA. <laughs> we don't mean to make light of this, I told him, but nothing like this has ever happened around here before. He says, don't apologize. Do you have any idea how much ridicule I faced around my office ever since everyone discovered I was going out to bust a church? <laughs> Sometimes Hank's joyless, joylessness ended in comedy. <laughs> but more often, it produced sadness. His children did not know him. His son had a wonderful story about how he met his wife at a dance, but he never told his father because Hank did not approve of dancing. Hank could not effectively love his wife or his children or people outside his family. He was easily irritated. He had little use for the poor. He had a casual contempt for those whose accents or skin pigment differed from his own. Whatever capacity he once might have had for joy or wonder or gratitude atrophied. He critiqued and judged and complained, and his soul got a little smaller each year. Hank was not changing. He was once a cranky young guy, and he grew up to be a cranky old man. But even more troubling, his lack of change than his lack of change was the fact that nobody was surprised by it. This is the message for the church, you see. It was as if everybody simply expected that his soul would remain withered and sour year after year, decade after decade. No one seemed bothered by the condition. It was not an anomaly that caused head-scratching bewilderment. No church consultants were called in. No emergency meetings were held to probe the strange case of this person who followed the church's general guidelines for spiritual life and yet was non-transformed. Is any of this ringing any bells? The church staff did have some expectations. We expected that Hank would affirm certain religious beliefs. We expected that he would attend services. He would read the Bible, support the church financially, pray regularly. You wonder what's going on in that, don't you? And avoid certain sins. But here's what we didn't expect. We didn't expect that he would progressively become the way Jesus would be if he were in Hank's place. What if Jesus took his place? How would it look a little bit differently? That's his whole point. We didn't assume that each year would find him a more compassionate, joyful, gracious, winsome personality. Isn't that a great story and a sad one? I made up my mind a long time ago, I don't want to do that. I don't want to come to the end and say, I was just as crotchety as I was when I still hated my father, which was 20 years ago. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say, rejoice. Why is it that there are so many, often in the church, under, unattractive, uptight, defensive, easily offendable, guarded, sometimes obnoxious, or just plain shallow and walled-in people who say they belong to Jesus. It doesn't, it doesn't win. It doesn't, it's like, no thanks. I was just with a group of um, pastors uh, the MLT gave me permission to take in a training I was inviting. Remember when you had the ministry mapping team come here? They invited me to be one of those kind of characters. And, uh, and so I went to the training. And I was sitting with some fine brethren who have been involved in ministry for years. And one even was written up in a Barna book about a turnaround church. So this guy knows something about making it happen. 
He's sitting there and we're chatting about a guy like Hank, an elder, who every Sunday sits out in the foyer in a chair <laughs> and won't come in to listen to the sermon because he's mad about something. And I was like, yeah, really? That's what I said, really? And I said, what does the rest of your elder board do? I just love the candid, you know, candid spirit we had. It was wonderful. <laughs> I was like, what? don't those guys want to get in his face? And he's like, yeah, they do, but they're afraid of him. His wife is on staff. <laughs> mm, checkmate. Anyway. But see how unhealthy. The point is, why do we put up with that? That's not helping people. People can't wait to become a believer because they met him out in the foyer, right? You're going in there, listen to that jerk behind the pulpit. That kind of thing. So the scripture moves us on and uh, tells us, let your forbearing spirit be evident to all men. Let me just park on that. You've got a place to fill it in. I'm not uh, going to go on too long about it, but just let me mention forbearing. Those of you who like Greek, apaeikos, what the word means, listen to this, mild, gentle, equitable. Here's a good word, reasonable, reasonable. I really like that word. It's one of the qualities for elders, for example, the scripture talks about. It's a person who can be reasoned with. He doesn't just dig in his heels and not listen to reason. He's approachable. That's part of the dimension of that, is being approachable. Mild, gentle, equitable, reasonable. Some translations say, let your moderation be known to all, right? It's being moderate. It's being balanced. It's being reasonable. It's, you know what it really is? It's what this book was talking about. We looked at it in chapter 2. It's all over this book. It's humility demonstrated. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about walking in humility with our brothers and sisters. There's always more to the story. You know what I'm saying? There are times, hey, we've stepped across the line. We need to yank somebody back. We need to help them. But there's always more to the story. There's always stuff going on behind the scenes, and sometimes we just don't care. We're not moderated. We're not reasonable about it. And so there's something winsome about that. Having the joy of the Lord, having joy in the Lord, it's a refreshing of my sense. In fact, I was thinking about the... um, uh, the movie Sense and Sensibility, uh, another great film, by the way. You might remember, why are you hitting him? Because he doesn't watch it with you? You need to pray about that and get that fixed. Um, that, that forbearing spirit, that gentle, kind, and merciful spirit, that gracious spirit. Um, you might remember in the story, the, the protagonist, the, the man who's going to fall in love with uh, Emma Thompson, just get over it. <laughs> um, he, is, he is crushed by his mother's cold domination and control of the family wealth. Unless he marries according to her standard, and Emma Thompson's too low on the totem pole, so to speak, she's going to take all riches from him and dump it on his brother, right? And it actually happens. And then the... the uh, um, Colonel Brandon, Alan Rickman's character. He's a man of means. He has an estate, and on his estate he has a parish. And this man is interested in parish work. And he, and this is the way the church used to work, not a good idea, but he gives him a parish, and he's dumbfounded. He's totally dumbfounded. And by the way, remember, this is Britain, 1800s. Christian culture. You get what I'm saying? That's not Christian culture. And he's so dumbfounded that uh, Miss Dashwood has to say, you find it so hard to believe that somebody could be merciful because your world is so harsh. Can't even receive it. Can barely receive it. Amazing that somebody would be forbearing, mild, comforting, generous in a nasty situation. I, just, I love that picture. He was being Jesus to him at that moment. Even I know it's not a Christian movie, okay? I get that. All right. 
be forbearing with me, okay? I watch movies, lots of them. And they make great illustrations. Well, you want this to work for you? How about this stuff of um, the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your mind? Don't we want that? Yeah. Don't I want to be able to rejoice in the Lord? And again, I will say it, rejoice. Which, by the way, is a command. He says, do it. Ooh. Got to work at that sometimes. Well, if I want it to work, there's some things I need to do. So let me show you a text here. I'm going to look through uh, on, our, on our worksheet. Well, actually, let me back up. I'm so glad I have this control over the screens. This is great. Let me back up. That one. Be anxious for nothing. So don't talk to God. Go worry. Try to solve it yourself. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, that's not what it says, right? There's a contingency, is there not? There's a response that I have to make. There's some obedience necessary. There's joy in the journey for those who... Oh, there we go. That's what I'm getting at. So I want this to work for me. How do I get that to work? Okay. This, I'm overdosing you today with movies, okay? But one more. Just one more. And then I'll stop. No. Nah. No, I'm not going to promise because then I'll have to confess sin later. So I'm not promising. But I think it's the last one. Great mentoring film, Karate Kid. The original. The original, right? The second movie, they go to Okinawa, remember? And they meet, uh, he, he meets relatives and all of that. And he goes into the original dojo where Mr. Miyagi was trained by his father. And on the wall of the dojo, there's Japanese writing on one panel and Japanese writing on another panel. And Daniel-san says, what's this? And he's, oh, these basic law of karate. Rule number one, rule number two. Well, what is it? Rule number one, karate for self-defense only. Oh, yeah. Understand? For self-defense only. Yeah, yeah. What's rule number two? Ah, rule number two. Learn rule number one. And that's really what, (laughs) I want the joy of the Lord, but I don't want to, rule number one, there's joy in the journey for those who, oh, thank you, wow, obedience, authority, rules, oh, no, not in our culture, we threw that stuff away back in the 70s, yeah, and it's working great for us, isn't it? We're in Bedlam, even in the churches, we're in Bedlam. In general. So, yeah, there is something God calls us to that makes life a lot more manageable and can bring us joy in spite of the difficulties. And I know sometimes it sounds like pie in the sky, but brothers and sisters, I've seen people who have been, I mean, crushed by circumstances rise out of that and and just glow with with the power of Jesus working in their lives. I've got to make up my mind to not end up like Hank. It's a choice we can respond to. Be anxious for nothing by prayer and supplication, by your request and thanksgiving. Let your request, lay it on God. Didn't Jesus say something about that? Lay your burdens on him. You know, take the yoke on me. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. Peter said, casting all your cares on him because he cares. See, you know it. But how hard it is to do, right? But it is an act of the will. You can choose. There's a verse coming up in the text in our, in our passages this morning that talk about the discipline of our thoughts, that it is possible to take our thought life captive, which can leave room for pushing out the bad and bringing in that which brings joy and peace. My goal originally was I wanted to just spend the whole morning unpacking how you do that, but we'll save it. You know, the specifics, embrace this, push out that, that kind of a thing. So if I will do this, then the peace of God that surpasses comprehension has room to move in. Samples of things like that. The, old te- uh, the, the book of James, submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you, Right? So we try to resist without submission, what's going to happen? 
You see, we don't do the math on that. We, we know in mathematics, one and one is two. Is that still true, by the way? I don't even know. Is it true anymore? One and one is not two anymore? I quit. Forget my illustration. Well, for people who are seeing, one and one is two. All right, so two minus one is one. So we look at a passage of scripture like that, and we ignore the contingency. Say, I don't have to, well, I haven't done very much. Well, then what did you expect when you went up against him? He's going to duke it out with you and clobber you. Not surprised that he won that battle. But if I'll submit, then I have a reasonable expectation that I'm going to win. And if I don't, then I want to find out what am I doing wrong? What am I missing? Because the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So how come I'm not winning this? So find out why. And usually there's a reason. <clears throat> Let's face it, there are times. Honor God with your resources. Isn't that a scriptural teaching? You know, we're going to get to that because the end of the book talks about this very thing. Honor God with your resources. So I don't honor God. I live for myself completely. You wonder why? It ain't working the way it ought to work. There's not a sense of joy and freedom and freedom from the cares of this world. There's a contingency involved. So that applies on a number of levels in the believing life. Okay? I want this to work for me. So let's look at what the faith that gives us joy is about. First of all, it is not about legalism. If you have your notes there and you want to fill it in, it's not legalistic faith. If you have your Bibles open, I hope some of you do, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse, uh, actually page 570, that's the easiest way. Go right to the top of the page of 570, and Paul has talked about all his religious background. And he talks about how much um, Judaic uh, what's the word I'm looking for? His, his CV. What, what's the word for that? His resume is really good. He's got all this background. I was a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I kept the law. I kept the rules. Everybody who knew me in the synagogue said I was top of the line. I had all of this as a background. But that doesn't get me right with God. It's not legalistic faith. It's not about law-keeping. This is one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. Up at our church up north, we used to have this painted on one. We had two diagonal walls in the front. The other verse was significant, too. I won't park on that. Now, this one was on one side, that one, I think. Can't remember. Do you? Can't remember. It was over there. Anyway, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Do you know the context of this? He's trying to deal with people who are trying to impose their personal rules on each other. Oh. All right, so let me just be blunt. You know, some drink. They may think that that means they're free. Doesn't prove anything. They may be free. They may also be in rebellion. I don't know. I can't answer that. Did I just make sense? Some people, well, let me be clear. I wasn't clear? Okay. The point is, the scripture is not a bunch of rules about what's edible and what isn't edible. If you were living in Senegal today, the, in that African nation, which is primarily Muslim, the Christians are referred to as those who drink. And they ain't talking about water. You know why? Because in that culture, it's irrelevant. Muslims don't, but they do. And especially in Catholic churches, they have wine for communion. So they're those who drink. Are they sinning? I'm not going to say they're sinning. All right. So now listen how quiet it got in here. It's very quiet. So other people are convinced, as I would be left to myself, that teetotaling is the only biblical position. But that's not what the scripture says. So one person who says no judges the one who says yes, and the one who says yes judges the one who says no because he's uptight and you know, legalistic and just a killjoy. Neither of them on their own are right. Neither of them are particularly wrong. What matters is, am I walking in obedience to the Holy Spirit? Am I walking in true righteousness? 
peace and joy. Do I have peace and I'm not condemning myself and my spirit and I'm not causing my brother to stumble? All of that matters. All of that matters. So we say, I don't care what anybody thinks. That's a sinful attitude. I'm free to drink and I get tipsy. That's sinning. Scripture is very clear about it. Did you know that? Oh, I got a little bit too much. Shame on you. Okay, the kingdom of God is not about those things. Or, you know, what kind of foods we're eating today and GMOs and everything. Oh, golly. You know, I like Paul's answer. Give thanks and eat it. Anyway, so, just shut up and eat it. Okay. So, that's not literally what he said, but pretty close. What's that? The Greek interpretation. Okay, you know what? We ought to quit. I've aggravated you enough, right? Okay, I'll aggravate you some more. <laughs> Surprised by change. John Orberg, one more comment. Getting clear on what spiritual life looks like is no casual affair. This is a life or death to the soul. Sheldon Van Auken wrote that the strongest argument for Christianity is Christians when they are drawing their life from God. They're alive in God. The joy of the Lord is their strength. Their conscience is clear. They're free from that deathly worry and all of that. You get what I'm saying? The strongest argument against Christianity also Christians, when they become exclusive, self-righteous, complacent, uptight, go fill in all the blanks. Some of you have heard of Dallas Willard. How many people are radically and permanently repelled from the way, the way, capitals, the way, by Christians who are unfeeling, stiff, unapproachable, boringly lifeless, obsessive, and dissatisfied? Yet such Christians are everywhere, and what they are missing is the wholesome liveliness springing from a balanced vitality with the freedom of God's loving rule. There's a statement, the freedom of God's loving rule. Did you hear that? The freedom of God's loving rule. See, we all need a dad. We all need it. We all need discipline. We all need... Now, you need to stop that right now, and you need to say no to that for the next six months, because I told you so. But I'm free! Quiet. You want to be happy or crotchety? Your choice, Hank. Spirituality, and this is the famous quote. I used to hang it on my wall. I don't know where it went. i got to find it again, put it outside my office. Spirituality, wrongly understood or pursued, is a major source of human misery and rebellion against God. If you struggle with some of that, like, gee, I thought it was all about keeping rules. It's not about keeping rules. It's not about legalism. It's about learning to hear from the Spirit. Yes, there are principles in the Scripture that the Holy Spirit drives down into our spirit. That's what we want. I get that. I own that. But if you struggle with that, let me recommend um, The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. It's worth reading. Uh, I'll just leave it there. You can dig it up. Okay. Number two, it's also not a false faith. You have to start at the right place. More than that, Paul said, all that stuff I had, being a Pharisee of the Pharisees, I was a rabbi, I'm all these important people, I count all those things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of what? What does it say? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What matters is that I have a genuine living relationship, that I know Christ Jesus, not know stuff about him. I actually know him. His great religious heritage was not going to rescue him. I don't care if your grandfather was a preacher. Doesn't matter if your parents planted the church. Doesn't matter if they baptized you. None of that has any weight in eternity. It's nice. It's a great heritage. That's all happy. Do you know that God does not have any grandchildren? 
Let me repeat that because obviously you're all lost. <laughs> I don't mean lost, lost. I, hopefully not. God does not have any grandchildren. He has children born by the Spirit of God, and you can't pass that on to your kids. They have to do business with God. You have to do business with God. If you're resting on your laurels of your spiritual history, I was raised in Sunday school. I had Sunday school pins that went this long down my lapel. Somebody remember those. I hear Kathy laughing back there. And it's like, yeah, that and a token. Anyway, it's not going to work. You have to come into a personal relationship with Christ. You have to know him. Let me explain what you get when you enter into life with Christ. Some of you are sitting in this room who, under our watch, have prayed to accept Christ as your Savior. Amen? If you have, here's what you get. I may be found in him. I'm found in him. Rejoice in the Lord. How does this happen? You're in the Lord. You've got to be in. You've got to be in it to win it. Don't go buy a ticket. I don't want to hear about it. Put that money. If you're going to waste money like that, put it in the offering plate. Okay. Enough of that. We'll get to money in a few weeks. Anyway, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. I had the privilege of hanging out with the Graham family, Billy Graham, that family, right? And there's all this hope that this son or this person is going to take over like you can transfer the anointing. It ain't happening. God has to do it. It has to be direct. They have to be found in him. And whatever call has to come from God. I can't pass it on. It doesn't work that way. Having a righteousness, not of my own, which is derived from law by keeping rules. Oh, see what a good person it is? I've been a Boy Scout. I did this. I crossed little old ladies on the street. I did all these wonderful things. Surely I'm going to have a good chair upstairs doesn't work that way. No, you have to receive a righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. The righteousness which is through faith in Christ. He paid for your sins. Your bill is completely paid for. Are you going to accept it or not? That's up to you. Parents can't make you do it. We, we led our kids to Christ. We prayed with them just like many of you did. And later they went, oh, I get it now. Quit wrapping your pride up in that stuff. Like, oh, no, we prayed a prayer. It's all... No, 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 that's a lie. I have to do business with God. God has no grandchildren. They have to have an encounter of knowing Jesus for themselves. Does everybody follow? And if you're sitting here today and you're going, what is this raving... I'll accept the fact that I'm a raving lunatic, but what is he talking about? That is sanity. If you're not following, please... Come talk to us. Please, don't put it off. You can know Christ for eternity. You will receive the righteousness that comes down from God on the basis of faith. The Bible language, the theological language, it's imputed to you. It's put on you. And you receive the righteousness of Christ himself. That's the only righteousness that's good enough to get there. Now, that doesn't mean we sit down and go, oh, joy, I'll go party for the rest of my life. I hope you'll party the right way, you know, inviting Jesus to come along with you. It's not, lastly, a stagnant faith, okay? It's not a stagnant faith. It's a growing faith, not stagnant. It's a growing faith because there is a vital relationship. Paul said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, and even the fellowship of his sufferings. I've heard worship leaders sing that kind of thing. I want to even learn about how to suffer with you. How many of you want to sign up for that? But Paul is passionate to know Christ. So I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. You know it in a reality that his work, his Holy Spirit work is engaged in my life, changing me. I press on in this journey. Here's what Paul says. So, Gene, I promised that I would deliver, right? Here it is. 
Brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. He doesn't say, I've arrived. I'm the most spiritual person on the planet. No one will even come close. That's not what he says. I'm on a journey, and I keep pressing forward because this side of glory, before we're perfected there, we're in process. All of us are in process, right? You don't sound too enthused about that. Okay, all of us are in process, right? Everybody say, yes, Pastor John, I'm a work in progress. <laughs> some more and some less progress, but I'm a work in progress. Thank you, Jesus. No, it's true, right? Having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I reach forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm here for a reason not to live for myself. I've been exposed to so many people I've observed who know about Christ, who disregard the church, who totally ignore their responsibilities as if the kingdom doesn't need workers. God doesn't need anybody. He can kill us all and finish the whole thing without us. Let's face it. But I think it's going to be a dreadful day when we stand before the Lord. A dreadful day for many who have just lived their lives for themselves, even though they've received the gift. And I mean really received the gift of life. They have no room in their life to honor God, worship God, serve him, do something. I'm interacting with these pastors this last week, and somebody threw out the stat. Just think about this for a second. The average giving in evangelical churches in America is $2,500 a year. So that means they're living on, all those people are living on $25,000 a year if they're disciples. I don't think so. The only way you can take your money with you, you know, when you die, you don't take it with you, right? I know some people have tried. <laughs> they want to be buried in their bank account thing and all that. And it's like, you can't take it. The only way you take it with you is you send it ahead. I've been doing that for 40 plus years. As soon as I learned that, I've been sending it ahead, sending it ahead. Send, I've never looked back. I've never had regrets. Didn't matter to me how the church handled it. It was God's money. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. I wasn't supposed to preach on money till the end of the month. But anyway, so, sorry. It's just an illustration of whether I'm enjoying the journey. The joy is for those who obey. obey. That's not a bad word. It's a great word. Oh, well, I'm having a good time this morning. Sorry about the rest of you. I don't regard myself as having arrived. I forget what lies behind. I can't take a lot of time with this. Let me make it really, really, really fast. Forgetting what lies behind. I hear Christians say a lot, oh, I'm, I refuse to think about what's gone on in the past. Well, you better. Example. This is my little journal. I never had a journal until I came to Harmony. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. And in my journal, um, some of my personal spiritual struggles. See, I let the tires out of Caitlin's uh, air out of her tires two weeks ago. Remember those flats? That was me. No, I'm Because I'm on a journey and I haven't arrived. And I'm hungry because I don't want to be like Hank. I think left to myself, I'd be like him. Which is why every year I watch The Christmas Carol with George C. Scott, because I thought that would be me if it wasn't for God. And you know what? Even as I'm watching it, I see little bits of me, and I go, that's ugly. Yeah, I reacted just like that. Don't big on this corner boy. You know, I mean, what a nice guy. Where's that forbearing spirit? Sure ain't in him. Not till the end. Something about that. Paul says, I haven't arrived. It doesn't mean we don't deal with sin that's undealt with. We did a solemn assembly together. Anybody remember that? This is some of the list. Unbelief. Hardness of heart. Worldliness. Idolatry. Disobedience. 
anger and unforgiveness. And go, go down the line. Here's my question. Here's my question. Were any of those personal for you? And if they were, where are you at now with it? That's all I'm asking. No show of hands. I'm not even going to have an altar call, though. It's open anytime. My point is, if that hit me and I went, okay, we had the psalm assembly, we're all done, but it's still festering in you, guess what? You have an assignment. There's joy in the journey for those who... Ah, thank you. I think we got the point, right? So here's what it says in the rest of that song. To all who've been born of the Spirit and who share incarnation with Him. See, there's no grandchildren. We're born again. And if we're born again, we share incarnation with Him. We belong to eternity, but we're stranded in time. Amen? Boy, that's a mystery. We're stranded in this weird thing called time, but one day it's all going to make sense. We're going to see it all, and we're going to oh, that's how that worked. Oh, if I hadn't been so crabby about that, oh, what an opportunity I had, and I missed it because I was having a hissy. <laughs> to all who eternity stranded in time and weary of struggling with sin. Anybody weary of it? No, no, not everybody else's sin and how miserable they're making the world. That's just an inconvenience to us. I'm talking about struggling with sin. Amen? So I'm with one of my prayer partner colleagues, and I am wrestling and I'm struggling because I worry about stuff. I worry about people in the church. I straining over this and how does this get changed and what do we do about this and I meet with this sister actually who ministers to me and first thing before we start she said cease striving are you telling the church that I'll go tell them oh no it's not the church yeah it is it is the church too striving we're going to do it in our own flesh you get what I'm saying Cease striving and know that I am. Anybody know that one? Didn't sound like you knew it. Cease striving and know that I am God. It's like liberation. I made a choice. And for weeks, I've been hearing the Spirit. Cease striving. Cease. Oh, that's right. Cease striving. Oh, that's right. Yes, it has to be addressed. Cease striving. Yes, I got to deal with it. Quit worrying about it. I got this. <laughs> you know, he's got it. Cease striving. There's a joy in the journey. You know, I, I want all of us to enjoy it. Because it's a lot better than we've often experienced it, really is. Let's stand together as we close.